Internet Brand Strategist, Sandra Beck, interviews top business coaches, speakers, authors, and thought leaders to bring you the best business tips, tricks, and techniques to give your idea the best possible chance for success. From writing your first novel, to telecommuting from home, to taking your small business to infinity and beyond. Now here's your host, Sandra Beck. Hi everybody, this is Sandra Beck and I'm so excited today. We are bringing on a best-selling author who's going to talk about rituals. We're going to talk about planning. We're going to talk about plotting. We're going to talk about lots of things. But since we are all kind of stuck in various places where we aren't normally, this is a great time that we can get experts to come on and talk with us and share with them their great information. Now, we're here today with Paula Mounier, and she has wonderful, wonderful books. And you both have fiction and nonfiction books. And you also have a very, very nice uh, career going with you at the Talcott Notch Literary Agency. I mean, you wear many hats. So welcome to the show. And um, how is it there? How are you doing out in your state? What state are you in? Hi, thanks for having me on. I'm in New Hampshire. Ah, so your smoke, our smoke is coming your way from Los Angeles. Absolutely, it is. And it's starting to get hazy. We're, we're in a place my son calls nowhere, New Hampshire. <laughs> <laughs> on, on 19 acres of sugar maples, but it's quite lovely. And certainly if you have to ride this out, it's a, a nice place to ride it out. With, with the maples and I have a protege garden and a new puppy and things to keep me busy during this time. And that's part of what we'll talk about is, is how to stay energized because it's hard to be at home. There's a recent Penn State study that actually said that people feel more stressed at home than they do at work because sure. we're structured and you, know, and you have better control. And, and then when you're home and we're all home and now we're trying to work and do all our other work, our homework and our housework and our child care and our caregiving, trying to do all that in one place. And it's such a tough, tough challenge. Well, and we have all those emotions. You know, we've got my 86-year-old dad and his emotions that he can't go out. Now we have the smoke, so you, you really can't go out. Like, we could at least go out with a mask. Now you can't even go outside. And I spend the morning getting up, making sure both of, making sure the internet's working, because I've got two kids that have to be on class at 7.30 in the morning. And I'll tell you, you want a gun to your head. Make sure that Wi-Fi is working, because if the kids don't log on, they get late, and they get marked absent. And if your kids are diligent, you know, that's, that's a real blow to kids, much less trying to do my own work day and somehow magically whip up lunches in the middle of it and dinner. I mean, it's really, there's some nice things, you know, Paula with, you know, there's not that much commuting. I don't have a lot of driving, but I will tell you my utility bills have gone through the roof because I have computers running and air conditioning running all day long when normally the kids would be in school. And I'm kind of that mom that's like, unless I'm melting in the kitchen, I'm not going to turn the air on and I'll turn it on, you know, before they get home for a couple hours at night. But it's a lot of, it's a lot of pressure. And we have no escape. I think that's the hardest thing is how do you plan an escape when you're all trapped in the same house? Exactly. I mean, we have a similar situation. My elderly parents live with us um, and my boys are home. I'm happy to say that they're grown. I don't have to do the homeschooling thing and it's probably just as well for all of us. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that we, I don't have to do it, but it's still, it's the same thing with, you know, they're both online all the time and they're working from here. I'm working from home. Internet can be spotty, you know, and that's stressful for all of us. And, and we're all living our lives on zoom now. So right. you need, you know, bandwidth, but it, it is hard and it's, and it's tough and it's, it's hard because like you say, you feel like there is no escape and that's where rituals can really help you because I think, especially as women and as, usually the primary caregivers and the primary, you know, child care and primary cooking and cleaning. I've never cooked so much in my life. Right. You know, um, we're the ones who have to juggle the most and we're the ones who are least likely to make the time to create the rituals right. 
and indulge in those rituals every day that will keep us safe and sane. Oh my God, I'm like, rituals? Like, if my ritual includes throwing in three loads of laundry, you know, double the dishes because everybody's home, like, what is my ritual? Like, but I do know what you're talking about. My ritual prior to pandemic was my lights out like nine o'clock, like at nine o'clock, the kitchen's closed. If you make a mess, clean it up. And I go into my room and I'm like, it's my time. But I'm finding that my ritual of taking a bath, brushing my teeth, as silly as that is, that's my ritual. I can't get to that because I'm still finishing up work that couldn't get done because the Wi-Fi went out or, you know, so-and-so couldn't get on, had a trouble with a Zoom call and, you know, we're pulled in all these directions. And so I've been hoping that I get my cup of tea ritual. Nine days, I've been waiting to sit down. You know how you like see those things on TV? They have, and I have the pretty china. I have the tea bag. I even have the glass teapot with the pretty flower insert that you put in and it goes, but I'm too stressed out. I'm too busy. And then there is no privacy. I mean, I'm going to take my tea bag cup on the toilet. Right, right. Exactly. Well, no, but that's, it's interesting because I just read this wonderful book called The Splendid and the Vile. And it's a story about London during the Blitz. And I, and I read it on one of those days where I was suffering from pandemic on a Wii and I needed to get out of 21st century America, 2020. And so I went back to the warriors of London when they have the blitz and all this terrible stuff is going on. And Churchill, who was trying to rally the English people to get them through this terrible time, he took two baths a day without fail, no matter what was happening. He took two baths a day. And that's what he credited with maintaining his strength, his stamina, and his creative approach to running the country during a terrible disaster. So take that bath. Be there like Churchill. I will. I'm going to bring my teacup in there and just just sit in there, you know, with my book. I did buy, you know, we, everybody talks about, like, what did you buy, you know, your pandemic purchase from Amazon? You know what mine was, Paula? It was one of those, like, super deluxe bath trays that's, like, two feet long. It's bamboo. It's got the wine glass holder, which I don't use. And it's got, like, all these trays, which I don't use. But I can put my iPad on there, and I can sit there and not have to hold it up in the bathtub. It's really nice. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, well, my, I did a protege garden. My husband built me this beautiful raised beds and arbors, and I had to fill it with, with food and, and seeds, and I grew my first protege garden, and we got a puppy. And that's a great thing. It, it, if worse comes to worse, just get yourself a puppy. You have to walk every day. And then your family can't tell you, oh, you know, don't, you know, you have to walk the puppy. And that <laughs> becomes your, your ritual. Paula, I'm just going to stop you for a second here because I really want to thank our sponsor because the sponsor is part of my rituals and the sponsors today is Best Fiends. And if you have not played this can't put it down mobile puzzle game that has over a hundred million downloads and counting, you're really missing out on something. You know, it's free to download and it literally has millions of five-star reviews on the Apple App Store and Google Play. And Paula, how I use it is I use it for my kind of creative brain break. And it takes you away from, you know, what you're doing. So let's say it's um, 1 a.m. in the morning and you're in bed and, you know, you could pull the covers over your head or, you know, kind of cover yourself up in the corner. And really, you know, you should be asleep too, but you're so wired from a day of creating. And there's part of you that just says, okay, just a few more minutes. And, you know, you're not flicking through grams or tweets or TikToks tonight. You're scaling the best fiends leaderboard. And that is so much fun. And you're going to be so happy that you did because it's one of the biggest ways to like recharge my brain, reset things. It's seriously boredom's worst nightmare because there's more levels, events, and challenges added all the time. So play away and there's always one more level. And seriously, once you've downloaded Best Fiends, boredom won't stand a chance. So when Best Fiends says the fun number ends, Paula, it's not an exaggeration. There's 5,000 levels and counting. 
funding. So if you're worried you'd get to level 3,247 and run out of fun, don't be. There's always another update, whether it's more levels or fun changes to the game-based or fan feedback. You know, you've just got so many fun things. The music is great. The characters are cute. It's really a great way to either, you know, keep yourself busy, especially if you're worried about something. It's a great way to take your mind off things. And if you're bored, it's a great, you know, kind of little, you know, break in the middle of the day. And if you're like me and you use your brain creatively, it's a super great brain break and you're going to be so happy you did. So download Best Fiends free today in the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Download Best Fiends free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. Now we were talking about different cool ways to, you know, kind of spawn your creativity. And for me as an artist, I like to play Best Fiends because it does make me feel more creative. It puts me in a positive, uplifted, happy mood so that I can create. And, you know, Paula, you were talking about one of your rituals to kind of up your creativity level is walking. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Studies have shown that walking really helps enhance your creativity and lower your stress level and keep you living longer. People who walk, their dogs live longer than people who don't have dogs and don't walk. Right. It's absolutely true. So I even have a friend named Edith Maxwell who writes three novels a year for different series. And she, every morning she takes a plodding walk, she calls it. She walks. A lot of writers walk. It's one way to get your subconscious working on your story. So whatever your work is, the walk is the best thing you can do for your work and, and for your creativity and for your stress level. So if you have to get a puppy to, for an excuse, get a puppy and, and walk that dog every day because a walk can make a huge difference. And that's well, a ritual. Sure. When I worked for Microsoft, one of the things, and this was many years ago, we had walking meetings. You know, we'd walk between buildings. And I thought this was so extraordinary. And, and it was amazing how much you know, your energy's going to your brain, your blood is pumping, like you're talking, you have this whole meeting and you feel so good. And they were so much more productive than I, you know, I ended up going working for another company and they were like the sugar donuts, the bagels in the center of the meeting. I'm like, could you, if you just injected, you know, a narcotic into my veins, it would have been less effective than the pile of donuts and bagels. And then all of a sudden, you know, halfway through the meeting, I'm like, you know, completely passed out from like a carbohydrate hangover. Um, but yeah, we do. We, we try to sit down and force ourselves to be creative while seated. Yes. And it's very hard to do that. I mean, our, our bodies and our brains really aren't prepared to do that. So if you want to get your brain in gear, the best thing you can do is take a walk or do some yoga or meditate. All those things are great for your brain. And they're also great rituals. And so if you create a sacred space at your house, even if it's just a little corner with you know, whatever makes you happy, whether it's a diffuser full of aromatherapy or books that you love or, you know, religious icons, Buddhas or, you know, whatever it happens to be that makes you feel happy and stress-free. Create that space and go there every day. And if you have to do it at night when, as one writer put it, I can only write when they're all asleep because I am not needed in their dreams, which I think is such a lovely sentence. Isn't that beautiful? That is so beautiful. I love that. Because I'm that way. I can't write if they're up milling around. Like I, there's some sort of like mommy consciousness that can't seem to disconnect. But one of the things that, and you're part of this, Paula, you'll love this, in my sacred corner, because when I moved my dad into my downstairs big office where I used to meet clients because he can't go up the stairs anymore, I now acquired my writing desk in my bedroom, which was really a hard adjustment because my bedroom was go to sleep. Like, that's it. That's all I ever did there. So the first couple of times sitting at that desk, I'm like finding myself falling asleep because I was like Pavlov's dog, operant conditioning, walk in the bedroom, fall asleep. And what I did with that little corner, I call it my New York corner because I put pictures of my New York life, you know, which I love. And 
I also put gifts, like the pillowcase you gave me is there that says one more chapter. But I sit there and then I have my, my meeting suck mug from my last company. My staff gave me that because I'm like meeting suck. But I have all these little things in a, in a little faith uh, jar for money. Um, all of these things were given to me as gifts. And when you have those gifties that you're like, they could be all over your house, but when you move them into a small kind of little sacred space, you sit down and you're immediately connected. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what a sacred space will do for you. And, and just like you trained yourself to go to sleep in your bedroom, once you start going to that sacred space and whether you choose to meditate or do yoga there or journal there or write a story there or write letters, whatever you choose to do there, if you do that, pretty soon it's a ritual and your body and your brain will get you there every day and you will miss it actively miss it if you don't mm -hmm. and that's the best thing that can happen to you that you've programmed your brain and your body for that little mini vacation every day that means so much to your greater life not just your everyday life but your long-term goals and strategies helps you meet those because you're 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 more of who you are because mm -hmm. you've given yourself that time mm -hmm. and you'll be more productive after you know, that's a, that's a big one. And, you know, one of the things that I tried this year, you know, and for years I was a Franklin Covey planner, you know, I was trained in Franklin Covey. I went for a whole week on planning, which boy, what a snooze, but um, I, I made a bullet journal this year, Paula, which I've seen the kids do on, on um, YouTube and they draw and they color. And I realized I can't even put tape on straight, but, but my point was that in this bullet journal, what I did was I put, they had these little monthly planners that you buy and they're like little stencils and you make them and you, you, I, I made one 30 day one for my workouts, one 30 day for my meditation, one 30 day for my writing and one 30 day for my uh, education. You know, I'm a big proponent of, you know, continuing education, especially as a writer or as a radio host, any of these things, we need to be constantly at this. But what would happen when I didn't log these things, Paula, they kind of evaporated in my head. And I would go to bed at night and go, God, I didn't do anything today. And when I found myself with this little bullet journal, and it's pretty and it's purple, and I open it up and I color in my workout, I color in my meditation, I color in my, I, I have a thing that says sleep eight. Because I'm trying to sleep. Part of my, you know, cancer treatments are get enough sleep. I went from four to five hours to now I get my eight. And so when I, when I, when I track these, and it's a cute little way. I've got my colored pencils. I color them in, you know, like I'm in kindergarten. It's a little art therapy. But I can look back and go, wow, I did my continuing education things for like 15 days out of the month. I went and worked out for 20 days out of the month. Cause I think sometimes we go through our days so fast. We don't give credit to all the things that we did do because we don't get that immediate rush like we do in work. You know, when you go into an office, you turn your report in, you have a meeting, you do these things, you log it down. And then we go and we work from home and a lot of these things slide. And when you have long-term goals, you have to celebrate the achievement of just getting even the first part done. Right, right. Well, and then that's so true. You know, um, once when I was at work, they made us they made it, made us chart our entire day in ten minute, uh, you know, intervals. So you had to write down what you did every ten minutes. And and I thought writing was, down what I did every ten minutes took one of those ten minutes. <laughs> exactly. I thought it was such a ridiculous exercise, but now I think to myself at the end of one of these days, now that we're at home doing everything, work, caregiving, cooking, yeah. cleaning, laundry, everything, I think to myself, you know, if I wrote down everything I just did in one morning and included everything from the dishwasher to, to you know, a thousand words on my new novel, whatever it happens to be, it's a lot of stuff and we don't give ourselves credit for that. So it's a good exercise to do one day. Just write down everything you do and all the things you don't count. And often our family and, and friends don't appreciate all those little things that really add up, you know, and then, then you have a better sense of, of where your time is going and what is really important. And I think often if you're a writer like me, 
I started off as a journalist, and so I would write stories, and the stories would be maybe, a, you know, 500 words, 1,000 words. And when I sat down to write my first novel, I was looking at 100,000 words. Wow. And I thought, I didn't even know how to begin to start that. But I had my ritual, and part of my ritual was I sat down every day, I just wrote whatever came into my head until I got going back into the story, and I wrote down my word count every day. And I kept track of that word count. And that makes a difference, you know? Right. I mean, it's no different than, you know, I was a college athlete, Paul, and I, I used to track my laps for swimming, you know, and I could see visually, you know, and I teach spin, I teach senior fitness. And I'm like, I ride 10 miles a day on my bike and I color in those bubbles because I look and I go, hey, I did that. I'm proud of this. And it's my achievement. And that's, you know, what we're talking about is, is lauding these little goals as you go. And I will tell you, Every single mother listening today needs the, what I call the snotty teenager list. I'm looking out there to make sure my teenagers aren't listening. The snotty <laughs> teenager list is you keeping a list in your kitchen at least once for one week and scribble down all the things that you do. Because when the snotty teenager comes in and you say, can you put the dishes away? Ugh, why do I have to put the dishes away? And then you fire back, look, I have a lot to do, or I did a lot this week. And they're like, oh yeah, right, mom, what did you do? You open the door, you pull the post-it off the inside of the glass cabinet, because you know they're not putting the glasses away, they'll never find it in there, and you read from your snotty teenage list, and once you get to about 15, they walk out of the room, and you still have another 35 to go, and if nothing else, it gives you some sanity that goes, how much we really do every day because we start to bundle Paula, you know, and this is one of the things I want to talk about with, with the bundling of, of activities, because one of the things I found is I have all these bundles, you know, the bundles are, uh, I wipe out the microwave, I clean the kitchen out, I, I vacuum, I use a shop back in my kitchen, I just shop back everything up, you know, it's like a little, I got a little pink one, and I shop back and I, I go down the toaster, you know, we all have these routines. So in 15 minutes, I can get like 17 tasks done. But it's all under clean the counters, and so I thought about that and how good I get at bundling as a mom. So I thought about my project bundling. And I now, when I sit down at my desk, I cannot leave my desk until I do my brain dump on my to-do list. I write my little journal thing. And then maybe I have a goal of 100 words on my novel or 500 words, whatever it is. But if you bundle things together they become more automatic than you're running around in the middle of everything going, oh, I haven't done my 500 words. Like I don't know any human being that could do that and then stop what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it does help to have rituals to get you to the ritual. Right. Right. You, and that's basically what it is, is if you, you know, like Anne Cleves who writes the Vera and the Shetland series, you know, every morning she sits down, she makes herself a cup of tea. And she writes before she does anything else. She brushes her teeth, she drinks her tea, she writes, you know? And the brushing your teeth and the, the cup of tea prepare you, just right. like the bell with Pavlov's yep. dog, prepare you for the writing. And so whatever it is that you really want to do that's important to you, and maybe not important to anybody else, but important to you, create some rituals to get you there and that's another way of, of of calling bundling what you're calling bundling it's the same thing you know gets you there right it gets you there and you and it becomes you know automatic and you I think like for me Paula I do my Sunday night planning anytime from like three to maybe seven or eight on Sunday night I sit down with like a paper printout of my week and I kind of doodle and write everything down how am I going to fit all this stuff in but you have to flex. And one of the things that I find that people don't do, they don't go through their to-do list and they don't go through their old planner for the weeks past and go, how do I make this better? Like when somebody told me that, I was in some, some training seminar a couple of years ago and I was like, huh, what? We go through our old weeks? 
how is that possible? You know, you carry this bundle, you know, this journal around with, you know, like for me, it was the Franklin Covey. I had three months at a time. It never occurred to me in a million years to go back and look at all those dates, the to-do list and what I was doing. And you can actually mine that for gold and find out what ways could I do things differently? What things weren't important? What things could wait, you know, and go every two weeks, like looking through that, you know, I was like, Oh, what? Your what hurts? And it was great because I was able to shift and flex. And I think when we can shift and flex and know that it's not because we didn't do it right. I think that's where a lot of us go. I did it wrong. I didn't plan right last week. No, it's just continual improvement. Each week we improve and we have to shift because look at everybody has had to shift with all of this pandemic. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's all about adapting, right? Analyzing and adapting. And I, it's funny that you say that because I do that all the time. I, I keep a, um, I have a, a book. It's got all my to-do lists in it. And I turn back and over time you can see, oh, you know, I really have been paying short shrift to this project and it's important to me. And, and yet I did X, Y, and Z. And that was important, maybe, maybe less important to me and more important to somebody else. And have I given away all my time just to other people and, and not save what that one project, I haven't gotten anything done because it wasn't a priority because it wasn't for somebody else. It, it was just for me. And I think women especially have trouble with that. Well, this is just for me, so I can put that off. But you can't. But you, you know? can't. Right. I, I did not appear on my own to-do list till my children were a decade old. You know, I would write down everything that needed to be done, you know. And then maybe on the bottom it would be like, get your hair cut. Like, and that was scribbled over in the corner. You know, my kids always had good haircuts. Their clothes were always clean. You know, everything was for them. And then for my mom and dad, who I had living with us, and then my mom got cancer. So, you know, how do you justify getting your haircut over cancer? Like nothing beats cancer, you know, in your to-do list. But and as silly as it sounds, it's like, well, yeah, it should because I need these things for me to get going. But I think there's something in us that's a mother, most of us, you know, that's kind of a maternal thing. And it's only until we get to the point, usually it's a snotty teenage year that goes, okay, <laughs> I don't need to do that for you. I can do this for me. And you know, you start justifying to yourself and you have that conversation back and forth. And I think that's when we get back to ourself and I think too, Paula, it's also about a little getting over yourself. Like, and this is a thing that happened to me last year. You know, I hadn't written a, a book type thing in a, two decades, but yet I wrote newspaper articles, press releases. I wrote, um, you know, I wrote a movie script. I wrote all these things, you know, that I did. And I thought in my ignorance that I could just sit down and write it. And now when I look back and I'm like, oh my God, what garbage. I bulldozed through that chapter. I did this, whatever. I don't know anything about story and structure. And I haven't written dialogue for 20 years. And dialogue for a book is different than dialogue for a, a TV movie script that I was hired to punch up the comedy for. And it was a really great thing because I decided... I'm going back to school. I don't care that I have a master's degree. I don't care that I have an undergraduate in journalism. I don't care that I'm a company owner. And I started buying these programs. I reread your books, Paul. I'm working my way through the beginnings book right now. But sometimes we have to bulldoze through something to learn what we don't know. And that was really valuable for me. And that propelled me to go, hey, you know what? Planning isn't working for me. I'm going to look at these bullet journals that the kids do. You know, they put stickers, they make it colorful. And I kept thinking, oh, you know, that's so beautiful. That's just for the kids. Now you go to my kitchen table. I got stickers. I got washi tape. I got stencils, colored pencils, markers. And these like, I ordered all these Japanese business supplies because they're just so pretty. And you become coachable in a way that you're not. And because we're all at home now, or at least most of us, we have some time. And I'm using a lot of this time to improve me, to improve my planning, to improve my writing, to 
whatever's going to be, you know, we hear a lot about the new normal. I want to introduce people to the new extraordinary. <laughs> there you go. Right? Because we're doing this new normal. Everything's going to be your new normal. I don't want normal. I want a new extraordinary. If I'm going to be sitting home for six months with my kids, with my dad in the smoke, when I come out of it, I'm going to be wearing high heels, a cape, good hair, and packing whatever I need to pack. I want a new extraordinary. I'm not going to settle for a new normal. No, I, I hear you. I've been, my daughter and her, my daughter and her family, my granddaughters live in Switzerland. So I haven't seen them now for a year because nobody can, right? We can't go anywhere. Sure. And so it's just heartbreaking. And I used to travel all the time. I traveled a week a month every and I haven't been anywhere since February and so even though I love my home and I love this place I get a little antsy a little stir crazy sure. and so what I finally started to do was I started writing a novel set in France <laughs> and so I can I can escape you know what's nice about writing is you know reading is great because you escape into that world you're reading about but writing you create that world so mm -hmm. I'm creating my own world full of you know, croissants and, <laughs> and, and good French wine and, and, and my family and all, all the things I can't do now. I can't, I can't go to France. I can't go to Switzerland. I can't meet them in Paris. You know, I can't do all the things I used to do. And it, it kind of breaks your heart. And everybody has things they want to do that they can't do right now. Right. So find another way to, to get that happy that, that other thing that you can't do now gave you, whatever happy that is, right? So I think that's a great idea, the new extraordinary guy. I'm mean, like you, boy, I'll be the first person on a plane. Right. <laughs> you know? Well, I, like for me, I wanted all this work done on my kitchen, you know, and I saved up my money and I knew I was getting this big radio check-in. I was so excited. And I'm like, oh, this is so great, Paula. I'm ordering. And I did. I got online. I ordered my brand new fridge, brand new washer and dryer, brand new oven, brand new microwave, set the date, everything. And you know what? I'm still waiting for the delivery. Because they're like, well, the shipment got held up, but it was coming from China, it was coming from this. So six months later, you know, because I need them all to coordinate. I need them all to be stainless steel. I need them all to be a certain size. You know, you can't shove a stove in, you know, or an oven in a, in a place that's got to be a certain. They're like, yeah, that's that. My oven is like on back order till December. Oh, I'm and so as silly as this sounds, you know, right in alignment, what we were talking about, I was doing in one of my writing classes that I'm taking, they said, do, you know, write a scene. So I wrote this scene in the kitchen. And yes, I, I, I was insane about the kitchen. I'm like the double twin Z's with the, you know, and I described this beautiful kitchen and, you know, the scene was secondary, but I had so much fun, at least in my head designing this kitchen because I can't do mine right now. And, you know, and I was like, Oh, I can't wait to live in that kitchen. Like, you know, you will, you will. I wrote a, in one of my novels in a borrowing of bones. I gave the grandmother who's a veterinarian and loves to cook. I gave her this beautiful kitchen. I gave her the kitchen I wanted, right. See? With a white marble Island. It was just gorgeous. Oh. And you know, now it's two, three years later, I have a new house that I didn't know I was going to move into at the time I wrote this beautiful kitchen. And I, and what, during, uh, right before Christmas, I got my Marble Island. <laughs> so, so writing it down can make it come true. Right. Oh, well, it's setting your intention to the universe. It's calling to you what you love. And, you know, and I think that's great. I mean, I can't wait to see your beautiful kitchen. <laughs> it's great. Well, yes. And it also, you write it down and it, it, it sort of, it sort of prepares your subconscious so that you can manifest what it is you want. Sure, if sure. Your will work on your behalf, even if you're not doing it consciously. Your subconscious will do it for you if you plant the seeds, right? Well, sure. I knew, you know, my appliances were hitting 20 years old, all of them, you know, when I built this house. And, and you know, and I knew, like, my washer and dryer are going. The, the handle on the, the microwave has some silver tape on it, you know, because it's just broken off there. But I didn't want to replace it until I could get, I knew what I wanted. And, you know, when I sat down and started really focusing on my kitchen, I would look and go, Ooh, that's how much that costs. 
So I would sit down and I would do extra work. Like I wasn't resentful taking a Saturday morning and picking up some radio shifts and producing, you know, 20 hours that week instead of 15. Because I knew subconsciously this is going to be an expense as a single mom. You know, I'm, I'm, there's no second income. It's, it's going to be me and I'm not a one that wants to finance or take out loans. So you do, you make little adjustments. I stopped going and picking up a coffee on the way. Like I might do it once a week versus every day. Cause I'm like, Ooh, that means I can get this handle or that means I can get that. And it happens so quick that you're not even aware of it. But when you do set your intentions and with your writing, if you want to travel, if you want to do these things, you know, you will unconsciously or subconsciously start making course corrections to get you to that place. Exactly. Exactly right. Yeah. So what do you do? What do you do when you don't feel like writing when you are frustrated because everybody's like, Oh yes, I have my writing corner and it's beautiful. And I have my cup of tea and my pillow. So what happens when Paula goes, I don't want to write. I'm sick of this. I want to get out of my house. Don't talk to me. You know, that drill. I do know the drill. A lot of times for me, if I don't want to write, it's not so much that I don't want to write. It's that I don't know what to write. And it manifests itself as I don't want to write. I don't feel like writing. But a lot of times it's because I don't know what to write. And so that means to me research. So that means I get to play. And I love research. So I, I, mean, I can spend like with this last book in, in Blind Search, I spent half a day on peregrine falcons you know um and, and they played this role in the in the book now i didn't maybe mention them twice in the book you know they played a very small role but i got to spend three hours reading about and watching videos of peregrine falcons in flight and it was awesome i love that i love learning things so for me if it's an opportunity to learn things then that's how i trick myself right so then by the time i was finished reading about these peregrine fountains, I had all these fabulous ideas about how to work them into the plot. And I couldn't wait to get to the page. There you go. So sometimes you have to ask yourself, why am I resisting doing whatever it is I'm not doing? Mm -hmm. It may not be why you think you're not doing it. It may, there may be another reason. It may be fear. Often it's fear because you think you're not going to do it right. Right. Uh, or somebody's going to tell you you did it wrong or somebody's going to criticize you. Uh, or, and sometimes it's simply, you don't know enough to do whatever it is. So you have to, you know, learn to do it. And that's kind of the fun. And it's the best thing for your brain is to learn something new. It keeps you young. It yeah. keeps you ready to make those adaptations quickly that you need to make because your brain is nimble and that's what keeps your brain nimble. So I would say, you know, when I won't want to write, I know there's a bigger problem mm -hmm. and I need to either trick myself or seduce myself into doing it by doing more research or sometimes I need to just walk away from it and go take a walk or take that bubble bath you can get great ideas anything that has to do with water or nature has mm -hmm. proven to be good for creativity sure absolutely you know, and I think sometimes too, it's a little bit of, I'm like an old car sometimes that's slow to get started. And that's why one of my little rituals, because the hardest thing for me, Paula, is the amount of sitting in writing. Like that's hard for me. I'm, I'm ants in your pants, like, you know, from, you know, the time I was three years old and I move all the time. And, and so sitting down for me is really hard. But one of the things that I do, I sit down and I'll make a list. And the list could be a chore list, a to-do list, a grocery list. But the process of just sitting down and writing a list is often enough for me to start getting settled so that I can focus. Because I do think some of us have a lot of difficulty. Once we get into the rhythm, it's good. Right. But I'm like one of those 18-wheeler cars, you know, those big trucks that are like, you know, and I, I need some sort of little entry. And so I do, I'll make my, like my big cup of tea and I'll sit down and I, I always use pen and paper because I think it does something to your brain that digital doesn't. Absolutely. It totally does. And they've proven that they've proven. That's why they're going back to teaching cursive because cursive actually 
fuels your subconscious and your creativity in a way that that you know, block letters don't and that typing does not. Um, and there's another trick that I tell a lot of my clients who are writers when they can't, when they're stuck. I just say, get yourself an hourglass. And usually hourglasses, they're, they're called hourglasses, but they're usually like takes 10 minutes or tops, maybe usually 30 minutes for all the sand to go down. Sure. And then you just sit down with a piece of paper and a pencil, you turn over the hourglass and you write anything that comes into your head for 30 minutes. Even if it's just, I don't know what to write. I don't know what to write. I don't know what to write. By the end of the time that sand is, it has, has all fallen down to, to the other side of the glass, you're usually in it and you're writing. So it's a way to, it's a great ritual to trick yourself into just getting started, like you say, getting started. Well, and it lifts off some of the stuff that's in the way. Like, I don't know about you, but when I've done those things, like I sit down, I realize like I'm, you know, and I might be something, you know, I'm writing about something stupid. Like, you know, I can't believe I left my gym bag, blah, blah, blah. Then I'm like, wow, I'm really mad at, you know, somebody who said this, this wasn't nice. This hurt my feelings. And I'm like, what? Like, where did that come from? Cause that was just something I heard walking out of the gym and you know, she thinks she's all that and she's 40 something and she's teaching spin, you know, that really bugged me, but I didn't know it was in there because I blew through the rest of my day. You know, I got in, I got to my kids, like I'm blah, 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 everything going. And all of a sudden that just little calmness of sitting down going, that was a really unfair criticism and an unkind thing. And I'm the type of person who will think of a great re- retort like nine days later. You know, like some people can turn around and be like, nah, 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 nah. I'm not, I'm like, who, what you're talking about me. Oh, that was awful. And then I'll just go sit in the car and nine days later, I'll come up with something to say. There you go. There you go. And also the good thing about writing it down is it diffuses it when it, you know, it diffuses your emotions. So anything that you feel very emotional about, if you write it down, it, it kind of diffuses it for you so you can let it go more easily. Yeah. And move on. Yeah, because that energy transmutes. You know, it does take effort to sit down and write a pen. And if you if you watch your pen, I don't know, do you ever do this? I love watching my pen go across the paper. You know, I have all these like pretty pens, like this is my military mom pen. And, you know, and I'll sit there and I'll just watch the hand go across the paper. And I don't even know what I'm writing, but it just looks so pretty. It's like hypnotic and mem- mesmerizing. Yeah, yeah. Well, that whole idea of, of putting pen to paper is is a very creative act, no matter what you do. Even if you doodle, it's a very creative act. And it tells your brain, oh, I'm going to be creative now. I'm going to think wonderful thoughts and dream wonderful dreams. Yeah. And even if you're in a really bad mood, like that helps me too. You know, I have this one, I used to buy these fancy journals, but now I realize like throw them away too much. So when it's the beginning of the school year, they have those composition journals that are like 25 cents a piece. I'll buy a stack of them, you know, like seriously, like $2, you get 10 of them and they're all different colors. And sometimes I'll be journaling and writing and I'll be like, I hate that son of a gun is going to pay his child support. Oh, you know, and my pen is ripping the paper, you know, and then I'm like, I either have to rip them out or if I wrote something particularly hateful, vitriolic and horrifying, I will take it to like, I live in an area where you can't burn anything. So I'll go to my like far away Walmart and dump it in the trash. Because <laughs> I don't want anybody to read those horrible, awful words I wrote, but and they come out of you and you mean them at the time, but like if my kids ever read it or like, I don't know, some like court psychologist read it, <laughs> they'd be like, wow, she's crazy. But crazy, you keep the crazy in. If you let the crazy out on paper, you'll find you're a really nice, calm person underneath. Absolutely. Well, you know, I write mysteries and, and all of us who write murder mysteries say that, 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 Writers who write murder mysteries are the nicest writers of all because we get out all our aggression on the page. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Don't ever try to write a romance novel in the middle of a divorce. Right. I had this company call me and they're like, we really want these romantic, uh, what do they call them? Romantic comedy stories. And they're like, we want them like 15,000 words. You know, would you like to write a few for us? And I signed the contract. Oh yeah, this is great. This is so great. I'm going to do this. And I'm like, 
oh my God, every guy turned out to be a cheater. This one didn't pay his child support. This one kicked the dog. Like that is not the mindset you need to be. And I did, I had to return the money and tell them I am not in the right frame of mind to write a romantic comedy. They, they all turned out horrible. Yeah, well, more than one mystery writer has killed off their ex-husband or their ex-boss in, <laughs> in a murder mystery, that's for sure. Isn't that great? It's a great feeling, actually, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and it's harmless, and it's a way to kind of transmute that energy from negative to positive. Um, but I really encourage everybody today to pick up a pen and paper, because I think one of the things that's happening too, Paul, and I don't know if you've noticed it, I've gotten so much more mail, good mail, during the pandemic because I can't go and visit somebody and have a birthday with them. But I send a birthday card. Like, you know, usually you bring the birthday card with you. It's, you know, stuck to the bag with the wrapper and here, happy birthday. Here's your present. We all eat. Isn't this great? Well, since we can't do that, I find myself ordering birthday cards online. When I go to the grocery store, I'll buy like a whole bunch of thinking of you cards because yes, you can call and yes, you can text and yes, you can email and yes, you can Zoom. But there's something beautiful about a handwritten card. Absolutely. And especially now when we're stuck in our homes and the idea that this lovely letter comes to you in the mail from yes. the outside world, from across the country or from wherever it's from, it's a beautiful thing, you know, and I, I'm hoping that, that there are a lot of us like you out there writing letters and sending cards that come in the mail. Seriously, look at the mail today. I'm holding up two cards. Like, how fun is this? Like, and it's just a happy, it's just happy. And it's, you know, it's a card and it's not, you know, nobody's asking you to write Tolstoy in it. You know, you can just write thinking of you, love Sandra. Like, you know, and I find that my, one of the other changes that have happened, Paula, in my company is the people that work for me normally would come and get their paychecks. Not everybody wants direct deposit. And so I have been mailing everybody's paycheck in a thank you card. Like I bought, you know, I went online, bought all these thank you cards. And I'm like, so every two weeks when the paychecks come in or my independent contractors are paid, I've been sending it in a thank you card because it's so much more personal. And I hope that I'll continue to do this because I miss seeing them. And so when I write, you know, like I've got like five independent contractors that work for me all here in, you know, California, and I normally see them. Well, I don't. So to write a little thing, like I miss seeing your beautiful face. I miss seeing, hope you're well, you know, enjoy your paycheck, you know, love Sandra. And as stupid as it sounds, like I'm the company owner, but it went from paying bills to connecting. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we're doing that in the book business now because, you know, it's hard to get signed books. Mm. So a lot of people, um, we're all in our houses, but if, if someone wants a signed book and they've, they've got, they bought a copy of the book, a lot of us are doing book plates and we'll mail them a signed book plate that they can put in their book. So nice. they a signed copy of the book, which I think is really nice. And again, it's, it's, a, it's a nice thing to get in the mail. Um, and it's a nice thing for collectors as well. Yes. Yeah. So what's your best piece of advice as we wrap up today's show for staying on target with your, whether they're your writing goals or their company goals, you know, what is one thing that's really worked for you to keep you on track with all the changes going on in your world? When I get desperate and I feel like I'm floundering and I'm not getting enough done or I'm, I'm not, I'm not getting enough done the right way or on the right things. I usually stop everything and take a Sunday afternoon and I make a vision board. Oh, very nice. And I, I cut out things from magazines and newspapers and, 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 you know, stuff online, pictures. I put everything that I want, you know, that's, and I, I often do this for each novel, right? So I know what it, it's sort of a subconscious kick kickstarter, right? To get my, my creativity going on a, on a story or my own life, if it's a goal for myself, but it, it helps me, it helps me articulate visually, right? Sometimes we can't put things into words, but 
images will do it for us. So I make these vision boards with images and words, and then I just put it up where I can see it until I don't need it anymore. You know, sometimes- see, I love that. I love that because it also helps you, you like immerse yourself in the setting and the plot and with the characters and, you know, all these things. Because I know when I did my first, you know, book that I was trying to do after 20 years and I realized 20 years of programming has paid a price. My one friend came over. He's like, hey, Stan, let's see your vision board for your book. And he says, those are plot maps. And I'm like- <laughs> I had like mind maps. I had a plot map of what I thought this looked like. I had a, a an old like printed out piece from a Thomas guide, which I don't know if you guys had Thomas guides out there. They're like a mapping system. And he's looking at it and he says, this looks like an org chart. He's like, how do you write from this? And I said, I don't, I made it and I got all stressed out and it's been sitting in the living room for like three months, but you asked for it. So you got to see it. So I love that you, you talk about what was on your vision boards, you know, pictures, cutouts, things like that. Because to me, a vision board is kind of like a flow chart. <laughs> oh, no, for, for me, it's like a collage. It's like a, it's like a blueprint of your subconscious at the moment that you're creating, whether it's a goal for yourself, like I had one when I was do when I was doing a lot of yoga and I wanted to do my yoga teacher training. I had one that was all yoga. Nice. My my idea of what kind of yoga teacher I was going to be, and then I did that for my yoga teacher training. And then for my novel, I'll do one and it'll have pictures of actors who, if I you know, cast my novel, these would be the actors playing the characters. It would have pictures of settings, postcards from places that I would go. It would have um, clues and mysteries. We have lots of clues, right? All kinds of clues. So I put whatever suggested a clue to me, uh, all that sort of thing, you know. Wonderful. That's great. I mean, I think that's really important because when you have people who, who aren't from that discipline set, you know, a, a vision board can mean many things to many people. Right, right, right. I, I think visually, the more visual, the better, right? Um, so if you create a vision board for yourself, whether it's for a trip or, or um, a career goal, whatever it happens to be, try to be as visual as possible because it's images that speak to your subconscious. Right, not so, triangles and circles and arrows. <laughs> that's what we remember, right? Right. So, so focus on the images. And, and then it's also fun, right? It it's is. Kind of, you know, looking at pretty pictures and, and daydreaming. All right. Well, Paula Mounier, you can find her at paulamounier.com. And that's spelled, uh, Paula is easy, but Mounier is M-U-N-I-E-R. You can go ahead and find her books on on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, anywhere books are sold. And she's got a bunch of them, but the most recent one is Blind Search. And that one is really an action-packed um, story. It's like a triumph over adversity. And you will really enjoy writing it. If you enjoyed listening to Paula today, get a copy of her book and uh, you'll enjoy it. You'll be glad you did. Paula Mounier, thank you for being my guest today. We'll be back again next week. Thank you. What a pleasure. On behalf of Sandra Beck, we want you to get out there today to make more money with less time and effort so you can live the life you want. Tune in next week for more tips, tricks, and techniques on Coach.